the Swap Tones out of St. Petersburg in the Russian Federation just released a two-song album called Space Whirlpool. That's the name of the song that you're hearing right now. It's actually Space Whirlpool available on their album. You can get it on Bandcamp or just keep listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio because we're going to play it at the end of the show in its entirety. This is episode 200. 64. Welcome to the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. And I'm excited. Well, I'm excited every week. I think longtime listeners may be getting tired of me saying I'm always excited to be on the show. But this week is something special. 2016 has a number of monster movie related anniversaries. And we're going to celebrate one of them in this episode by having one heck of a kaiju sized round table about one of my favorite kaiju films talking about 1956's Rodan directed by Ishiro Honda and I'm not going to do this by myself because come on I'm a big guy but Rodan's bigger so I need some help so I invited a couple of people that you may recognize like Stephen D. Sullivan and Tony Wendell they're coming back to the show to tackle Rodan with me and we're joined by somebody that's never been on the show before illustrator Mark Maddox you know I'm really excited to get to this and because it is a longer conversation than normal i'm just gonna stop talking spin a couple of trailers and we'll get into that roundtable right after this the mysterious the mysterious the mysterious you are now inside a flying saucer our destination the planet earth we are the mysterious our race is old dying our planet dead only you of earth you and your women can give us life. And what we want, we take. Swooping down from outer space. Blowing up from the lower depths. The Mysterians. Creatures who knew the uttermost secrets of the atom before our planet was born. Love-hungry spacemen come to seize our women that their dying race may live. It started in the east. Soon it swept the west. The all-out horror of interplanetary war. See giant robots no earthly weapon can destroy rip a path of destruction across the land. See the forces of nature harnessed to the invader's will wipe entire cities from the face of the world. See the earth itself crumble beneath your feet. The Mysterian. Threatening our civilization with weapons beyond the belief of modern science. Flying ray guns that blast everything before them. An impregnable fortress that hides in the earth. Gamma rays that melt the heaviest armament. As men and machines disintegrate before your eyes. The mysterious. What power can stop their ruthless advance? See the blazing holocaust of an earth gone mad. See on the giant screen in flaming color. The mysterious. It's 1966. The space race is on. The Cold War is heating up. And giant monsters are destroying Japan. Dai Kaiju Attack. The serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. The 
this South Seas paradise where sensuous maidens offer themselves in ritual sacrifice to his brute embrace. Godzilla has a brain about this size. He is sheer brute force. While Kong is a thinking animal. His brain is considerably larger. About ten times the size of this gorilla's skull. Being instinctive rivals, there's no doubt that they will attempt to destroy one another. King Kong versus Godzilla, heading for their colossal collision. Shattering every obstacle that stands between them in the most fantastic rampage of annihilation ever recorded on film. See King Kong stamp Tokyo into the ground, holding a beautiful girl in his grasp. See Godzilla destroy an entire army. See King Kong trapped by the blazing barrier of a billion volts. But nothing, nobody can stop the great showdown when King Kong and Godzilla meet to fight for survival of the fittest. The scene, outer space. The story, destruction of Earth. See Gorath, the most spectacular science shocker ever filmed, surpassing anything in the realm of science fiction to date. See astronauts, satellites, and spaceships operating from South Polar Base. You are actually in every exciting scene. It could happen. It may happen. Warning to every man, woman, and child. Nerve-shattering tension will grip you and hold you spellbound in the most enthralling science fact shocker ever made in scenes never before filmed in limitless outer space. See scientists move the earth with hydrogen jet power. See the world doomed by a wild invading sun 6,000 times bigger than Earth. See gigantic earthquakes, space collisions, and tidal waves. It's been 60 years since this movie graced the big screen, and ever since, well, it's been one of my favorites, not that I saw it, you know, 60 years ago when it first came out. We're talking about the movie Rodan, and I'm not doing it by myself. This is a Rodan round table. I've got a new person on Monster Kid Radio. I've got a couple of old favorites. I'm going to go through the list. I'm just going to go clockwise across my Skype window here. Steve Sullivan is here on the show. Steve, welcome. Hey, it's nice to be back. Talking about giant monsters again, what a shock. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Next to Steve's smiling face on my Skype 
is Tony Wendell from the Gigantic Project. Tony, welcome. Working in a coal mine, coal mine, going down, down. Oops, a mega new line appeared. <laughs> <laughs> and the new voice to my podcast, but not necessarily a new voice to, well, the podosphere in general. I'm talking about Rondo Award-nominated magazine artist. Mark Maddox. Mark, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be on the show. Excited to be on the show. We've been talking about doing this show for two years, I believe. I know, right? <laughs> it's like uh, things move fast on Monster Kid Radio, don't they? You know, I think podcast time is faster than normal time. There's something like dog years or something. I don't yeah, know. exactly. Right, right. I mean, in, in real years, you'd probably have 50 shows done, but in fact, it's like, what, 260, 70 now? Something no. like that. <laughs> well, I, pre I appreciate you having me on the show. I really do. Thanks a bunch. Well, it's the 60-year anniversary for Rodan, and you are responsible for one of my favorite Monster Magazine covers of the year last year, which featured Rodan, so I had to have you on. Yeah, as a matter of fact, oh, uh, yeah, I voted for that one for the Rondo. I think that's the one that yeah got the nomination this year. There was that one, and there was another one for Horror Hound, which was a comedic one. And I just said, you know what? I don't want to split the vote. And I just said, you know what? To me, the, the Rodan one is the one I was more proud of. So I was excited to see it nominated because that one was like a labor of love. Well, I voted for it, and I hadn't even met you before. So Thank you, Steve. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I really do. Talking about issue number 30 of Mad Scientist magazine, I'll make sure there's a link to the cover art in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. Uh, as of this recording, it's the most recent issue of the magazine. So listeners, check it out just for the cover alone. But the articles are good, too, Sam. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So I would like to play a round of the Classic Five with everybody just to kind of Break the ice and get, to, get things going. Uh, All right. Nothing like a few unexpected questions. Oh, yeah. Good to times. really warm up your brain. So I've got a deck of cards here uh, that each one contains a question about classic monster movies. Uh, this or that style question. What's your favorite? Which one needs this or that? And it's just kind of a rapid fire kind of thing. There's no wrong answers unless you completely disagree with me. Okay. <laughs> and I've been shuffling them here, and I'm going to draw five cards from this deck. And I'm, I'm going to do the same five cards for everybody. We're just going to go around the table. All right. All right. All right. Question number one, favorite mad scientist. Uh, we'll start with Steve. Uh, Road Wang from Metropolis. Oh, that's a good one. Victor Frankenstein. <sighs> My favorite is uh, from a Boris Karloff movie called The Man They Could Not Hang. Mm. Ooh, good and, one. Uh, where he's like wiping people out left and right who have uh, sent him to, well, to be hanged, but he comes back. I think I was like that. That was my first Mad Scientist movie. Nice. Okay, card number two. Favorite big bug monster movie. We'll, we'll start receiving them. Them. <laughs> Easy. Mothra. Mm. Good Tarantula. Choice. Nice. Excellent. Oh, good. See, I still I gotta conquer my fear of giant spiders and finally just suck it up and watch that movie. Derek, you know, should we make that's you a, answer these two? What's that's that? A, should we make you answer these two? Don't you usually answer them as well? Oh, okay, okay, all right. So, Derek, what kind of crap are you pulling? <laughs> it's my show. <laughs> no excuses. Okay, yeah, okay, really. All right, so favorite big bug monster movie for me, uh, you know, I love Tarantula. Love it. Yeah. Um, just I love the music. John Agar, come on. Yeah. And yeah. favorite mad scientist? Favorite mad, you know, I'm still going to go with Frankenstein right now, although I've been watching. You know what? No, I'm going to take that back. What's the Bela Lugosi character in The Devil Bat? Yeah. I don't remember his name yeah. either. Yeah, yeah. That, that's Giant one of killer them. bat and perfumer. Yes, awesome. Yes. <laughs> All right. Card number three. Question number three. Which character from a classic monster movie would you like to follow on social media? <laughs> I'll oh, start with boy. Steve. Well, I mean, give we me do, a day for that I one. do follow Julie Adams, right? So mm. then it'd be K from 
uh, creature from the Black Lagoon. Okay, I actually sense. do follow. So, <laughs> okay, hmm. is that cheating? No, because it's probably what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> Tony, what do you got? I'd have to say Dracula. Just just listening to him uh, comment about all oh, what's going on in recent uh, vampire culture and him being so annoyed about it would just be so fun to watch. Oh, what is with these whiny kids and the sparkling? Ugh. I'd like to put a stake in them. <laughs> For me, it would be Jack Torrance because all he would do is write the same thing over and over again. I'd just click the like button. It'd be easy to converse with him. <laughs> Every day, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. That's his entire tweet. Every day. Every day. I'm surprised if it's not already been done. I'd be surprised if somebody doesn't already have that as a Twitter handle and just does that every morning. Probably. You know, I'm not sure he qualifies, but I might change my idea to Jack Burton from Big Trouble in Little Uh Uh Man. Who would be hilarious on social He'd always get words of wisdom from that one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and like I said, I'd probably go with Kay. Just because Julie Adams, 50s girlfriend, I love her. So. Beautiful yeah. woman. Beautiful scientist, met the creature, you know, got carried yeah. off. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to go the other order here. We're going to go with Mark first for the question. What classic monster movie needs a prequel? The Black Cat with Karloff and Lugosi. Ooh. That's, that's, oh, that's, that to me is a, that's a super masterpiece to me of a film. That's mm. like, you know, at one point that was like my top two or three films and I've watched it. Burned, burned it into the ground watching it so many times and there's just so much story there and they and they give you the part of the prequel with Lugosi t- talking about what Karloff did to him and his and his wife and his daughter and all that stuff and so it's like wow there's a whole there's a whole backstory there already laid out nice all right Tony I want to, I'd like to see a creature from the Black Lagoon prequel just a before the initial crew that finds him like an even older crew finding him and then being even less prepared to deal with him Cool. And they never came back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good choice. Cool. I'm going to go with something I, I think they're actually doing, though. This is not why I thought of it. I'm going with King Kong. Kong before Fay Ray shows up. See what's happening on that island with those dinosaurs. You know, for me, I, I want to go with some more Bela Lugosi. I'm going to go with The Return of the Vampire just because I want to see more of that Lugosi and that vampire. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Lugosi just did not play enough vampires. I no. know that's what people think of him as doing, but really he did not do it much on yeah. film. Yeah, right. I agree. All right, final question, and I'll start with Tony on this one. Favorite classic monster movie poster? Oh, that's a tough one. Spring to mind, uh, some of the old Godzilla ones are just so iconic. I would want to say Godzilla versus Monster Zero, but at the same time, if I could especially with uh, the artist passing. A couple of the Heisei-era posters were just so good, such as uh, Godzilla vs. Violante. I, that's the one I want. If I can find it and uh, get it, it's gorgeous. Yeah, that was great stuff. Okay, Mark? Really, oh, I, you had to ask me this question. <laughs> this is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I am an artist, but I'm a huge artist fan, so saying this is like... <clears throat> um, like picking your kids, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I'm Sophie, and there's two of them. Um, let's see. Uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. That's just a suck question. To hell with you, Derek. I'm leaving. <laughs> uh, I hate to say this. I'm going to say this only for my my childhood, and it sounds like a broken record. The Black Cat poster that they sold in the stores. You could buy it. You could go into any old poster shop, any head shop, or whatever, and they have all the the black light posters. But they sold that one for years. And it's what a beautiful. Like? It was like there was the uh, the um, Lugosi's uh, 
helper, this big strong guy, has got the unconscious woman in his, in his arms and then there's a head of Karloff floating down below and one of Lugosi above and they're like looking at each other like they're getting ready to go at it like that's the conflict and it's done really beautiful but if you get a chance look at Black Cat 1933 I think it is movie poster and you'll see it and that's only because at this moment because I got put on the spot I'm sure there's like <laughs> five million other ones I'd pick as well but that one was the one I had on my wall for a very long time I still got it too. We got, I got it in the early seventies. I still got cool. it rolled up. So, I'm gonna pick the um, one I actually had on my wall as a teenager too from the 1970s, and that's uh, there's a, a King Kong poster where you're kind of looking down at Kong from above the Empire State Building, and he's mm-hmm. kind of reaching up, and I don't remember if he's crushing a plane or whatever, but it's a very dynamic kind of coming at you poster of King Kong, and it's really, really good. Although there's um, a really famous, is it a two-sheet or a three-sheet of, of Karloff as the monster in Frankenstein with um, Frankenstein's wife on one side? It's like insanely famous, and there's like one of them in the world. Boy, if uh, I can have that, that's a beautiful, beautiful poster. That one sold for like, I think that ended up being like the most expensive poster purchase of all time or something and they right, found yeah. it they found it and it was like it's in sections you would piece it kind of piece it back together or something yeah i remember it's yep. huge it's huge yeah yeah right no it's the size of uh i have a small house but it's the size of one of the the walls and your house little, little <laughs> it's the size of your house, house. Yeah. Derek. so i put myself on mute so you can hear me using my keyboard to scan through all the movie posters <laughs> that i <laughs> Wow. Because there are so many of yeah, them out there that are just ridiculous. so good. Just yeah. so good. You know, I love all the creature ones. The creature from the Black Lagoon posters. Not just because of the you know what the movie is, because favorite film and all, but I just love the colors of a lot of them. And one thing, and, and I'm going to cheat. I'm going to kind of cheat a little bit. I like looking at a lot of the classic movie posters from overseas, from Italy, mm-hmm. from Spain. Uh, from Germany. The German kaiju right. posters are pretty fun, not just because they always use the word Frankenstein, even though there's typically not a Frankenstein monster in any of the movies. Uh, I just love those posters quite a bit. So I'm just going to cheat and say pretty much any European classic monster movie poster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've seen some of those Godzilla posters, and I, if I could have described one of them, that would have been one of the ones I'd pick. And it's, and it's kind of like, it's got. I think it's from the original Godzilla film, but it's kind of a weird industrial art deco kind of Godzilla yeah, post with like a shape of about. Godzilla, but you don't actually kind of see him. Mm-hmm. I can't even properly describe it, but uh, yeah. they did some, just some crazy, amazing, okay. it's like, well, you never would have gotten that poster in the West. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. In fact, I'm looking at a Herald, which was a, like a little flyer handout that they used to give out for some of these movies from Spain for the movie Rodan that I've got framed here on my wall. It's just a little short, about the size of a note card. Uh, they call the movie Vulcan. And I can't, it's about as Spanish as I get this morning. But it's a cool little, you know, nice artwork, nice colors. I love the way the colors kind of pop off of it. I'll uh, take a picture or scan it in and put it in over on monsterkidradio.net so people can check it out. But I really dig it as well. So, cool. Yeah. All right, so that was the classic five. Just to kind of get our vocal cords going, let listeners know a little bit more about us, that sort of thing. Now that you've made our brains hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. He's mean. Derek's mean. No, it's so early in the morning. I think too. the M is for mean, Derek. Mean. <laughs> you Koch. wake up in the morning and you just start with a quiz. Come on, <laughs> really? <laughs> You're like like the the worst teacher ever in high school. <laughs> Not like I ask you to do a bunch of math or anything. Come on, we were talking about <laughs> monsters, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. 
We live them. We breathe them. This is the stuff we love, man. And I love Rodan. Monster of is a skyscraper. When he moves, the whole earth quivers and quakes, and an abyss of horror opens up. See these prehistoric beasts emerge from the bowels of the earth after 200 million years to devastate mankind. Supersonic jets cannot catch him. Rockets cannot stop him. Armored tanks are helpless before him. Even guided missiles are powerless. See Rodan destroy a modern city, leveling it to the earth with a killing airstream of his mighty wings. Nothing can stop him. Nothing escapes this monstrous beast of evil. Rodan, 1956, like I said at the top of this, 60 years old this year. And I think it's a pretty important film, too, when you look at where Toho was going, how they started. I mean, this was the first color kaiju film uh, from Toho, pretty much, well, Toho pretty much defined the kaiju subgenre. So, yeah, the first color giant monster movie to come out of Japan. Mm Mm-hmm. I love this film so much. And I, you know, Mark drew it for Mad Scientist magazine and talking to Steve and Tony in previous episodes. I know they dig the movie quite a bit as well. So I thought it would be a good time to talk about the film with these gentlemen here. And I, like yeah, I, I didn't said, realize it was 60 years. That's, yeah. uh, that's well, it's older than me. So <laughs> sometimes you lose yeah. perspective on, on things that are older than you. <laughs> right. What were we saying earlier about podcast for years versus regular years? Right. <laughs> exactly. So I would like to ask you guys, and, uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of go around the table here again. You remember the first time you saw the film? Ooh. And in, Boy. Since Steve made the first sound, I'll start with him. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it probably was on a Saturday matinee uh, television show back when they used to have monster movies on Saturday afternoons back in the late 60s or the early 70s. But I, I don't have, like, a, a huge sticks in my brain moment when I first saw this. You know, it's funny. I think we've mentioned this before when I was on the show, but I actually had the Godzilla model from Aurora for years and years and years before I actually saw a Godzilla film. So I'd kind of fallen for the character before that. And I'm, I'm, I, if I had to guess, I would say that probably my first exposure to Rodan was probably in the famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. And boy, 
do I pity all those of you that are just too young to have remembered the heyday of Famous Monsters? Because every month was just like a revelation of cool stuff that you had no other way of finding out. So I'm pretty sure I saw it on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon on on television, which is not a bad way to see it. It is at least it's you know in those days with the four three television, uh, Rodan is a not a widescreen movie. Yeah, it works better on that one than some of the other films That's for true. sure. What about you, Mark? Probably the same thing with me. It is strange to me. I almost remember where I was or what show, whether it was Sir Graves Ghastly Presents or Science Fiction Theater or Creature Feature or any other one of those, where I saw it and what year. I hate to say this. This one eludes me a little bit, and I think there's a good side to this in saying that, is that this film holds up beyond some of the other films of this type. And I remember really kind of falling in love with it in the uh, early 90s when I got the Laserdisc. I had already seen the film. I already knew I liked it, but I bought it on Laserdisc, and I found myself watching it over and over again and thinking, what is this? What is it about this one that is so good? And I think it was just the sheer energy of the monster. It was about force of energy and not like Godzilla with the fireball. I mean, this was like wind energy and wings and speed, and, and the movie moved really fast. You get two, two. Two, two monsters in one. You get, mm-hmm. <laughs> you get, you get the first monster movie in the caves, and then you get an even bigger monster and and his mate. And so it was like, when did I first see it? Probably like Steve, it was on a Saturday matinee in the early seventies. Maybe the maybe something out of uh, Atlanta, one of the earlier Turner stations or something like that. But afterwards, it was just seeing that I found that this one rose to the surface near the top of the of the kaiju films. Right on. Yeah, it's kind of comes at you in unexpected directions. Mm-hmm. If you're familiar with, I th- I think a lot of us in some ways saw the monster team up movies before we saw the original movies because yes. they seem to show them more on television. So, for yeah. instance, I I know I've said that Godzilla versus the Thing was probably my first Godzilla movie. But, you know, I'm sure that I saw Ghidra, the three-headed monster, way before I ever saw Rodan. For me, it was Destroy All Monsters. I saw that, like, three times at the movie theater and then, like, (laughs) 20 times on TV. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, yes, I I was already familiar with Rodan. And personally, the best Rodan is still that first one. He's a little more edgy. I think I like the design of the face better in the original film. He's darker. He's got dark eyes. And I think that he's kind of, uh, you know, almost a second fiddle in, in the other films. Right, yeah. He's kind of spikier and stuff, too, in this first film. It really is the uh, the features you're talking about. The eyes and the head. The horns he, in his, just like, they look, uh, you know, more defined, more straight. Every other time, he has, like, his horns, like, swooping back like they're a comb over, really. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a, yeah, really. I mean, it's like when when Godzilla and him are going at it in, uh, I think it's Ghidra, three headed monster. When they're they're tossing the rock back and forth, and Rodan smacks it with his head, and then Godzilla hits it and back and forth. It's like no wonder your head's misshapen now from then. You know, <laughs> you work down didn't the rough mom, edges. Didn't mom tell you that if you kept hitting rocks with your head, your <laughs> horns would bend? And your eyes Come are going to stay that way. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> when was the first time you saw the movie, Tony? Do you remember? Oh, I, I cannot help but remember this because I saw it. On a, it was either Saturday or Sunday, but it was uh, the Monster Bash on uh, TNT. And I uh. this sticks out to me because of the fact that I lived on a lake growing up, and I hadn't seen Jaws yet. 
But instead, what I saw back-to-back was Rodan and War of the Gargantua, two cool. movies <laughs> which, saw, which saw explicit death in water. And these two movies are what made me afraid to go into the water for a long time. <laughs> Just That's because funny. of those the, the, those scenes with the miners just being pulled under by the Mega Nulons and the scenes with War of the Gargantua where uh, Gyra is chasing them as they're trying to get away in the water. Just like, okay, I don't want to go swimming now. <laughs> well, it and is so, creepy when that guy gets yanked under. Oh, I mean, yeah. when you're, oh, down, yeah. you're already down in a cave. That's creepy enough. Now you're in, you know, you're chest deep in water and all of a sudden you see the guy in front of you getting pulled down. Man, I'd be, I'd be walking on water. I'd turn around <laughs> and just there'd be like just a stream. I'd look like what what's his name in Remo Williams where he's running on the water. You know. <laughs> the the first guy that gets pulled under, his shock isn't really as genuine. But then the second guy, you can really see he's afraid of being pulled under. That you know, yeah. just like what's like yeah. what what's going on? What's going on? Get, get, let go, let go, gotta cut the rope, gotta cut the rope. Don't take me with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And by sheer coincidence, aren't those two films on the same DVD yes, yes, they are yeah. actually. In the, or they in the they were also set. released on Laserdisc at the same time. That's when I got the Rodan and the War of the Gargantuas was the Laserdisc they put out. Cool. Uh, the War of the Gargantuas, that's actually when Tony and I covered, uh, was it the end of last year on the yep. show? Mm-hmm. Back in uh, September. So you can check the archives for that. Well, Rodan, for me, the first time I saw it actually was on DVD. So I, I don't have a lot of depth. You know, and I've talked about this here on the show. Uh, I, you are a latecomer. I am. I am. I, I was always aware of the movies, but in terms of having actually sat down to watch them start to finish, pretty latecomer. I actually saw King Kong vs. Godzilla here at the Hollywood Theater in Portland a few years ago, and that's what finally kicked open the door for me to go back and watch all these great kaiju films. Right, and, I think I've been friends with you longer than you've actually watched kaiju films. You know, just- it's just one of those things. When I was growing up, they weren't very accessible to me, just for whatever reason. Yeah, that happens. You know? That, you know? Sure. There are two different cuts of Rodan. There's the English language cut and then the Japanese version, the subtitled. Which one do you prefer? Japanese. Yeah. I only saw the American cut for years. This is Operation Gigantic. Yes. And it's like, what is a speed racer? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's like, or the one line that really gets me to grit my teeth, even before I ever saw the Japanese cut, when the hero, who is he's a really good-looking guy with a pure white shirt, and he comes running, they see the monster, the, the smaller monster, and it comes in and it attacks the house, and he runs across the bridge, and he runs across, hey, you guys, come over here, there's a monster over here. And it's like, who the hell talks like that? Who talks like that? <laughs> and then if you look at the Japanese cut, it's, hey, help me. There's something weird going on over here. There's a creature over here. There's which a strange is animal in my house. Yeah, or something. There's, it, was, it sounded so much more real. Well, I went, I went back through this film, and I've watched this movie a lot the last few years. And the whole elegance of the movie, the Japanese cut, and stuff that you're sitting there watching, hey, you think it's okay for us to go up and look at the volcano? Uh, you know, I'm worried about going, Dad. And the dad goes, hey, no, that's okay. You guys aren't going to have any problems whatsoever. Well, the Japanese version, I'm looking at the way they're posturing. They're standing here. I said, this looks like it's backwards. Sure enough, in the Japanese version, the dad's worried. And the kids are making fun of the dad for being too worried about them going out after people have been attacked and all this sort of stuff. And I'm like, who came up with these decisions to dub this and to hurt this movie, basically? Just having just watched both of them again this week, I, I agree with you that the Japanese cut is the better cut. But the U.S. cut is not a bad cut. It's not bad dubbing. It's not as good as the original cut, certainly. But the you know over the years of 
discovered watching a lot of these films and listening to a lot of the commentaries, just how tricky the dubbing is where you're trying to get the mouths to kind of sort of match as well as you can. And so sometimes you'll do the kind of thing that you're noting here where they'll take dialogue from one character and shift it into the mouth of another character to try to give you the same information, but they can't make it match up with the other character's mouth. So I think that probably accounts for, for what you're so, talking about. Maybe so. Dad. I think it hurts it really bad. I mean, it's like with my kids. My kids are like at the age of six. They're both watching Seven Samurai, and they're watching. It's like, you're gonna, can you read this? Yeah, we can read it, Dad. I mean, to me, they, to me I believe in subtitles tremendously in Japanese films. Oh, yeah. And it, yeah, and it drives me nuts. And yes, it was the only way for us kids to see it. I understand where you're coming from. It's just it's kind of disturbing some of the ways they switch things around. I mean, there's like chunks of scenes that are in one spot that have been moved to other spots and everything like that. And it's sort of like, oh, couldn't they give it us a little bit more credit for being smart? Yes, that's all. You know, actually, yeah, I mean, that's part of the real problem that I was noticing with, when I was uh, comparing the two over the last couple of days was that the Japanese film has no voiceover explaining what's going on as much as i love key luke <laughs> you know and his voiceovers and this kind of yeah. stuff it kind of hits the nail on the head for you know those of you who are you know maybe some of it's the fact that these were brought over in japan they're actually kind of serious adult films especially mm-hmm. at this point and mm-hmm. when they're brought over here they're marketing them to a much much younger audience right so you know we need key luke at the end talking about okay derek we're spoiling this right yeah i, I think oh yeah, yeah. i'll make so, sure there's so no spoilers old, i think we're okay go watch the film if you haven't watched the film go watch rodan <laughs> it's awesome it's yeah. really good and you know if you want to watch it in the u.s version and then work up to the subtitled great but if you just want to watch the subtitled version great but there's the point at the end where Kiluk has this kind of great speech about the Rodans not wanting to desert each other, even in the flaming Holocaust and and spiraling down into their deaths. There's that great kind of monologue that he gives mm-hmm. about, yeah. you know, yeah. and it's a beautiful kind of monologue. But in the Japanese version, all of that is just implied. No one ever says any of it. My memory is that the the characters kind of stand there silently. Mm-hmm. watching the monsters perish and it's only the fact that the female character the woman character kind of turns and and cries and puts her head on the the man's character that kind of the japanese were counting on you to understand that 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 while the monsters being dead is kind of a good thing it's also a tragic thing right yeah. but that's kind of a, an older and a much more sophisticated audience that's going to get that from that than the the kind of matinee film kitty crew that we're probably going to see rodan that's actually, uh, I actually watched the, for the first time, watched the subtitled original Japanese version myself, and the removal of the narration really helps to make it a more somber film. Mm-hmm. And uh, at the same time, uh, they also made sure to say that uh, in the English dub, that uh, Kyo was uh, the main character's fiance. Just a little thing to add, which kind of explains why they're hanging out so much together. Right. Yeah. That, like that whole, uh, you know, toning it down. So, you know, oh, why are two adults of the same sex hanging around each other so much? One of those, you know, standards and practices situations. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, there were probably a lot of reasons that caught. And obviously, when you bring the movie over, you're, as a distributor, your first responsibility is actually going to be to make money with it and to make sure it hits an audience that can understand it and stuff. And so there, there's always these kind of interesting 
problems in that era. One of the things, though, for me is like with these films and the same thing, it, it, it's like American – the people that are bringing films over sometimes don't give their the American audience their respect. It's like yeah. when Doc, Doctor Who came over here and everybody goes, oh, man, this is a new cool show. It had actually been out for years in England, of course, and they bring it over here and it's like, oh, man, this show is so cool and all that kind of stuff. And the Brits are like, you know, that's for our kids. That show's for kids. It's for the little kids, the eight-year-olds and stuff like that. There's like you know, 25-year-old guy going, oh, man, this is so cool. And it is cool. It is good. But the thing is is that it seems like in Japan and in Britain, they give their kids a little more, more respect for their intelligence. You know, We're all sitting over here with our eyes rolled up in the back of our head, slobber running out of our mouths. What are we going to see next, Dad? You know. <laughs> but all road, Dan. You'd be surprised. I mean, going on to the whole what uh, other uh, shows they do better overseas, let's talk about another show that has a, uh anniversary recently. Common Rider's going for 45-year mm-hmm. uh, anniversary, and that's marketed at like a little bit older kids, but they straight-up murder characters sometimes. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't hear the name of the show. What's the show? Common Rider. Oh, 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 oh okay, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah it's 45th anniversary is this year. Yeah. Right. Well, and I just started watching um, Johnny Sacco and his flying robot. Which I managed to be old enough to kind of miss when that came over, I guess. And it's and I saw the sausage movie in the early seventies. Uh, what was it? Mission into space or adventure into space or whatever, where they put three episodes into one one film. They had luckily we got the most important one was the flying eyeball <laughs> that the robot's <laughs> punching a robot. Hey, I want to see that robot punching that giant eyeball that's floating around in the sky. That's yeah, pretty cool. Right, yeah. The, the the thing that surprised me about Johnny Sacco is it's a weird combination of kind of kids stuff and then this horrible violence with people shooting each other with guns constantly and stuff. Yeah, like, oh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have these kids running around shooting at adults with actual guns, not with lasers or anything. It's just like, all right, it's, it's a little bit of cultural shock. Anyway, the, the point that I was trying to make with all this is I, I don't think you can be too – yes, we all – I think we all agree that the, the subtitle version is better. But I don't think you want to be too hard on the people that brought over the film here in the first place and dubbed it because the as far as dubbing goes – the 50s and 60s were still kind of the golden age of monster movie dubbing from other countries. And it's not that they did it perfectly, but they seemed to kind of take it a little more seriously in a lot of ways. Usually, you know, banana oil and the second Godzilla film notwithstanding, usually <laughs> took it a little more seriously and seemed to put a little more effort and a little more craft into doing it. Then a lot of the stuff, at least for me, that we started to see in the 70s and the 80s. And, um, mm. you know, yeah. I actually prefer the dubbing in Mothra versus Godzilla than mm. I do in Godzilla versus Mothra, the 90s movie. Yeah, I agree. Mm. It's something weird about when, when Japanese monster movies go to stereo with the dubbing. It almost becomes too, I don't want to use the word polished. It's like when they re released recently the uh, Blu ray of uh, Destroy All Monsters, and you could listen to the old older version of the dubbing. Uh, and there, they had some problems with the sound on that Blu-ray. But there was the version that I was so used to, and then there was this more stereo version. I don't want yeah. the stereo version. I want the original dub from the late 60s. Right. Because, yeah, the, because the, the it just sounds better. The dub that was better. done by Titra Titan, the, the people at Peter Fernandez, and mm-hmm. who did Speed Racer and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The, that dubbing group was really, really good. And if yeah. you listen to that dub of the film, um, which sadly you can only do if, if you're lucky or 
you know, got in really early on the destroy all monsters like you and I apparently did mm-hmm. because they actually removed that dub. Toho doesn't like it or something from later issues of the film. So all you're stuck with is the kind of bland sounding you know, very clean, but bland-sounding international dub from later. It's, it's like you're watching an older film with a brand-new soundtrack put on top of it, and you're like, eh, it's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't right, work no, for me not, in comparison. It's, it's not nearly as interesting. It may be, in some ways, more accurate to the actual original dialogue, mm-hmm. but it completely misses the spirit of the film. Yeah, mm, that's a good way to put it. That's a good way to put it. We should it. probably clarify: we're not hating on the, no. the Rodan dub. It's actually a pretty serviceable dub. It's just its original uh, subtitle version is just a little bit more superior. Right. Oh, sure. I mean, we're all purists too. I mean, we're, we're all film fans, so of course, if we have a choice between subtitle and dub, we want to see the original language subtitles. But you know, for this last night, I watched the English dub of Rodan, and yeah, it kind of, for lack of a better term, dumbs it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. It makes it feel more like a 50s monster movie from the U.S., Yes, mm-hmm. I feel like, especially with that introduction with the narration and the stock footage. This is the atomic Yeah. Bomb. I mean, it feels like it could fit right in there with some of the lower-budget big-bug monster movies from the era from here. Now, granted, the original, the subtitled, so much better. There's a little bit more well, nuance and the way the characters are presented. are just just it feels more pure, but if you're looking mm-hmm. for just kind of like a fun time, kick back, not necessarily joke about it or to be jokey. I don't think the dub is a bad choice. Of course. Oh, no, I mean, I'm not better. sitting here like, I, I oh, was no, being, no. I, I'm, I'm like sitting here going, look, will you be able to see what the people from another country are trying to tell you? Right, That's all exactly. I'm saying about the other one. And then here, here it is. It's run through a filter. Am I going to sit there and go, if I can't have Rodan with subtitles, I don't want anything. Hell no, I'm not saying that. I really, <laughs> I really love it. You know, um, yeah, you and I are from the era that you used to mark the TV guide every week to find oh, the man. giant monster oh, films and then what? stay up until two or 3 AM for the one showing because video recorders hadn't been invented. Absolutely. And you're, you're watching a 13-inch black-and-white television, yeah. right? <laughs> oh, I mean, I've done some crazy stuff to watch monster movies, man. I'm sitting there with like a, a walkie-talkie antenna with a pair of alligator clips stuck from it to the TV set antenna and standing there <laughs> with my arms out trying right. to get so better you can reception. Get the reception. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I'm right there in the same boat myself. Uh, I was I was highlighting the TV guy because there's only we only had one vcr in the whole house that would be able to record shows so if i didn't catch it at the right time because you know my dad would have wanted to watch some would want to always record different tv shows and stuff so right and it wasn't you couldn't stream it you didn't have dvds you didn't even uh, have videotapes you know back when when mark and i started doing this at all so if you you you, you get up you get up you get home you get home and there's the vcr sitting there you know it's taped your film and you go in and you get your soda and you go to sit down and you put and you got the tape in there already from the night before and you hit it and it sports that had run over ran over ran over (laughs) and you put it on and you put it on the two hour to make sure you got the best picture possible and you realized you're it's gone there never it's like or if it did it started like 45 minutes you know there's 45 minutes left or beginning of the movie i hated those days you know yeah it's horrible horrible stuff very difficult but anyway by that comparison any version of rodan is a great version of rodan sure yeah i saw it a few years ago in atlanta at the silver scream spook show it's this guy professor morte and he comes out and he does basically an old style 
a horror show host show, but it's live. And oh, it, nice. In the daytime, they do it for the kids, and at night, they do more of a burlesque. Same jokes, but they'll put the cussing back in and all that sort of stuff. And the movie was Rodan, and it was on the big screen, and it was really cool. I mean, I, I mean I've mean, i got it. I'm sitting here. I'm walking past my copy of Rodan to go out the door to go see Rodan. You know, uh, but it was like in a, in a room full of enthusiastic people and everything like that. And there was never a moment where every anybody went, you know, it wasn't a snickery audience. You know, you get a bunch of people that kind of know about Japanese monster movies and then they'll you put the film on. And they go, yeah, the dubbing's funny because their lips ain't matching up with their with the sound and all that. This wasn't like that. These people knew what they were getting into. And right. when the movie ended, man, everybody clapped. They were like, yeah, it was great stuff. I don't want anyone to think that we're putting people off watching the dub version of Rodan because the dub version of Rodan is a great giant monster movie in the same way that the Godzilla King of the Monsters with Raymond Burr is a great giant monster movie. Mm -hmm. It happens that Gojira and Raidon, which is, we haven't even mentioned that it's uh, called Raidon in Japan rather than Rodan, but Radon means something different in the U.S., so I assume that's why they changed the title. Sure. They're both great films, both the original and the dub version, and both really, really worth seeing. And if, you know, I do know people that don't like reading dub stuff, even though I was taking my kids to see Crouching Tiger when they were, you know, five and seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I know people that there are people that don't like that kind of stuff, but don't avoid the film just because you think you have to see the subtitle version. Well, I mean, I will say this though: on the on the going the other way though, it is so easy now to get the the subtitle version. I mean, it's like I think you can go up on Amazon and buy a used copy for pennies on the dollar, right. uh, and you get both with the disc. The uh, what was the name of the company that did it? I've Classic got it. Media. Classic Media does a really good job. I mean, ever since they they put out the Gojira. And uh, the other films with War of the Gargantuas and the other Godzilla movies. I mean, I'm grateful to that company for oh, yeah. for what they've done. You know, it's like, let's see, let's have the choice. Right. And, and it's funny, you hear the commentaries on some of the things, and it's almost like the heads of the classic media didn't kind of realize what they were doing, but somebody in the in there talked them into doing the right thing, which is on every disc you get the the dub version and the subtitled version. And I think all the dub versions on their discs are the good ones. They're not the generally not the international dub, which is always not nearly as good as the dub that was done by AIP or or whoever was dubbing them into the into the country and using the the Titan slash Titra, Peter Fernandez and company dubbing companies. Uh-huh. So the the classic media discs are really good and they're insanely inexpensive too. I think yeah. they're all under ten dollars <laughs> at yeah. this point. New, yeah, and that's even ridiculous. Less used so yeah. and they often have really cool extras on them for instance the rodan disc has a a great uh godzilla documentary yeah on the, disc the documentaries on all those discs are great i mean it's just a it's a great entertainment package you can be there for hours you don't get your painting or drawing done you know you just sit there and stuff. <laughs> you don't get anything done and then you're like oops no yeah uh, i don't think listeners think we're sitting around here being a bunch of kaiju hipsters saying well it's got to be subtitled and it must be in there no any kaiju <laughs> movie if you can get it any way you can watch it you have to watch it. it the way you can if it's exactly you know. you know one thing that i like about these kaiju films and steve and i have talked a little bit about this when we've had him on the show to do other kaiju films is 
the human characters a lot of times will have some interesting stories or characteristics. And Tony, you mentioned something when you reviewed Rodan on your website over at the Gigantic Project that you were taken by the fact that this movie's got something that you don't see a lot in a lot of these monster movies is the portrayal of post-traumatic stress disorder. I actually have to revise that a little bit. This is actually technically acute stress disorder. Everyone wants to go straight to post-traumatic stress disorder okay. because the PTs is right there, so it makes it sound like after something happens, but technically PTSD is only happens after like you've had the acute stress disorder for six months. Okay. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but he's still yeah, he's still experiencing acute stress disorder. He's in shock. He's uh, you know unable to speak. He's frequently sweating and uncomfortable. And it's only when facing the fear that he finally remembers uh, all that happened to him. One of the things we don't talk about on sometimes on Monster Kid Radio is the actual plot. <laughs> <laughs> of the story and that the basic plot of, of Rodan starts out with um, people that are working for a mining company and there's some troubles in the mines and the mine ends up flooding and it ends up being filled with these giant insects, the megalunulons that are killing people and there's actually kind of a MacGuffin plot in which it looks like one of the missing miners is maybe become a psychotic killer and is lurking in the tunnels and killing people though as viewers we pretty quickly know that's not going on and then during this whole thing where they're looking for this guy they discover it's the monsters and they deal with them somewhat and they're in kind of a them-like scene actually with uh, machine gun fights in the tunnels and one of the characters gets trapped and is believed dead, but then ends up found wandering the countryside miles and miles and miles away with, um, what is it now? Not PTSD, it's traumatic stress disorder? Acute, what is- acute stress disorder. Acute stress disorder. So he's wandering around, beat up and amnesiac, and eventually we discover that he has been trapped underground with these monsters in what turns out to be the lair of Rodan and sees the Rodan, one of the Rodan's, Spoiler, there are two. Uh, one of the Rodans hatching out of its egg, and this this whole thing so traumatizes him that he basically ends up wandering around like the little girl at the start of Them, uh, amnesiac and not really saying anything. And it's uh, a great series of scenes. And then from there, we go on to discover that there are giant supersonic flying birds that are kind of terrorizing the countryside and, and eating people, apparently, which I'd forgotten that there's actually a scene where you get to see the bones of their victims kind mm-hmm. of lying around in the canyon near where they live. And eventually, of course, the monsters come in and start smashing up cities and that kind of stuff. And we have some really amazing miniatures versus giant rubber kaiju suits mm-hmm. battles and stuff with all sorts of just great little, really amazingly detailed tanks and planes and and uh, all sorts of... Uh, That's where also, too, the energy of the film picks in. I mean, well, the whole movie's got energy to it, but when you get the first Rodan lands, it's flapping its wings, and the the guys, the special effects guys are going, yeah, let's just go nuts with the wind cannons, man. And they're ripping ripping tiles off of buildings, (laughs) trucks and stuff. Guys are hanging on trees and getting yanked away. Buses are flying all over the place. I'm like, man, I'm like a pig in slop. It's, It's such a forceful energy that you don't even get from Godzilla. Godzilla has a flame breath, and then there's fire. But with this, it was just a different kind of, uh, for lack of a better term, a different kind of violence. Uh, utility poles blowing over 
buildings blowing over and just it was just amazing meanwhile you know they're taking out jets in the sky that's like the cover for mad scientist i did they were flying at supersonic speed above the clouds and these jets are just getting taken out over and over again by these, uh, you know, by the speed and the force of these creatures. And that's a little different, you know. Nowadays in, in kaiju, and especially with some of the modern stuff that they've done later, it was a, uh, probably a little easier to do and everything. But I think that this one, which is oddly enough, I never really, it's hard for me to believe that this is 56. I mean, it, because it's in color, it looks like a 60, 60, 61 movie, which, you know, four right. years. But that's still a significant difference between that and then what year. What what year did Mothra come out? 61? 66? 61, I think. 61. But, but they don't. Completely they, wrong. <laughs> but they don't look that different in age. Uh, right. It works on so many levels. Like one of my absolute favorite scenes before they even get to the city is the scene where this guy's going to go warn, you know, everybody, oh my goodness, there's this weird creature. And the guy jumps in the Jeep and he's going down the road and the Rodan flies over it and just takes out the Jeep. And the Jeep flips out of control, crashes into the side of a hill, and you see the guy's legs sticking out of the Jeep like a little Yeah, it's like destroyed by the shockwave. The shockwave, and that was the, the what, what the rest of the movie was. It was just right. nothing but sheer energy, and I, I, I find it to be a great tour de force last, what is it, 20 minutes or something yeah, like 20 that? 20 or 30 minutes at the end, depending. I think it's, it's a little shorter in the American version, but it's it's almost like the, the whole first two-thirds of the movie is almost sedate compared to the last part of the mo- movie where the Rodans are actually out and attacking things and eventually meet their fiery end. It's really amazing, but but as as Derek was saying, this is one of those movies that has these great human stories mm-hmm. at the start of it that really set you up for the the monster action later, and the the fact that the uh, the main character um, Shigeru uh, Karamura is amnesiac at one point, and his head mm-hmm. head's bandaged, and his girlfriend is trying to get him to to actually speak at all. And yeah. because he's he's suffering from this trauma, all of that is dealt with very realistically. And in the in the mm-hmm. Japanese version, and I don't remember it being quite this explicit in the American version. There are a couple of scenes where the like bringing the dead bodies into the the doctor's office or the autopsy area, and they're washing them and mm-hmm. putting them up on the table, and they're like, "Well, this guy looks like he's been he's been slashed to pieces with a sword." And it's all it's all kind of a very human drama, and mm-hmm. until the Meganulons, which are kind of giant caterpillars with claws, until mm-hmm. they show up, the film is kind of playing out like it's a your coworker has gone mad and started killing people in the mind. Uh, it's almost you, a little bit of a statement of what level of monetary level these people are operating on. It's almost like in the way that Alien, the first Alien movie operates, that these are a bunch of you know blue collar worker types. Right, and that's the days. thing. Has somebody finally, you know, somebody finally working in this blue collar situation? Have they finally snapped their cap? Right. One thing about this too is that the you talk about the amnesia. To me, this is so much more of a believable reason for somebody just to lose it in that way, as opposed to like on Gilligan's Island where somebody gets a coconut on. You know, hits them in the head, and then and then they walk around, and finally, well, the only other thing we can do is have them get hit in the head with another coconut. You know, I've been scared, uh, like when I was a kid, oddly enough, by monster movies when I was real little and saw something at a certain point where I shouldn't have, like at the age of five, seeing Quatermass in the pit and being so terrified that I actually didn't talk for about a day. 
And I'm not wow. joking. My mother, my mother, th- my mother. It was like it was her birthday, and she goes to hand me a piece of birthday cake. And I just looked at it and looked at her, and she looked at my older brother, and she goes, "What in the hell did you do to him?" And it was <laughs> like he went to the movie. I told you not to take him to the movie. You took him to the movie. I mean, the guy's sitting here. He's in this cave, and he looks at this giant egg, and all those little monsters are going around. The ones that we thought were the real problem are there, and then all of a sudden, this egg hatches, and there's something like the size of a skyscraper. You know, it's it's just the brain trauma of seeing something like that and having it eating the uh, grub, the grub creatures, is for, for lack of a better, which all of a sudden everything shifts. Right. There's a paradigm shift where all of a sudden those things become insignificant. You've got a much bigger problem, and the guy loses it. Right. The guy just, the guy just, he just shuts down. And the movie really handles that well. You're at that point. You've seen these the mega nulons, these kind of crab-like caterpillar monsters, and they're Probably, you know, three, four meters long, you know, 12 feet. They're big. They're really large, and they're big enough and scary enough that they can kill a human being in a blink of an eye. And they're rampaging around, and our hero is trapped underground with these things. And they're, you know, all twice his size, and he's trying to avoid them. And then he's in this space where they're everywhere, and he's kind of cowering in a corner. And suddenly in this huge space... There's the Rodan egg, and it cracks open. The Rodan is so large that these huge bugs are just like mealworms to it, and it mm-hmm. starts picking them off and chomping them up. You're in the same position with the with our hero, and your brain is going like, these were huge, and they're terrifying, and they're just worms to this bird, to this mm-hmm. giant bird. So you kind of get that shock, and I think the, yeah, I think the, the shock and the amnesia part of that, I think, really, really plays well in terms yeah. of being a kind of a realistic reaction to what's going on. In the same way that, and I hadn't really thought about this until I was watching this last night, in a way, there's a lot of them in this picture, too. Because mm-hmm. in them, it starts with a little girl wandering the desert with amnesia, and it turns out that she's been the, a witness to the attack of the giant ants on her parents' trailer. But mm-hmm. there's a long part of the film where you don't know what's going on, and you get there's a, a sound effect, a creepy kind of uh, crickety sound effect that accompanies the giant ants. And we actually get the same kind of thing with the mega nulons in this. We don't see them. We see their effects on people. Their people are being dragged out of frame and killed, and we get the eerie sound effects. And eventually our hero ends up in this situation with the giant bugs. And then, being a, a kaiju film, we then amp it up even one level further. It's a really wonderful thing. And it's later, one of the problems I have with a lot of later kaiju films is that they seem to Aside from the kaiju, which are always really cool, they seem to be inserting some kind of an American movie that was popular at the time into them as well. So I like Final Wars. All the monster stuff in Final Wars I like. The Matrix stuff, not so much. No, I agree. And there's a lot of Japanese films later. There's like Indiana Jones stuff that's in... I don't that that's the only part of that that I know which one you're talking about the it's almost like a, a remake of Godzilla against Mothra and, and that one that right. I love the Godzilla Mothra and uh, what was the other creature the bigger nastier the one Batra, Batra. I think um, that's Godzilla versus Mothra I think yeah but the Indian Jones part that just doesn't yeah. work but it's like don't this stick one, that in the stuff in it that's now to me clearly inspired by them 
it's like a little tip of the hat. It's not ripping it off and it's not no. slavishly copying it mm-hmm. or trying to duplicate it, but it's like, here's a little influence that we saw from a, an American monster movie we like, and here's how we're amping it up. Well, I also like in the, in the case of this, it's, it's a stair step. It's a stair step up of like we've got this first you know, 30, 45 minutes of this thing, and it is very intense. It's one of the more intense scenes in any kaiju film is, is the, these smaller monsters. We go up we, – we stair step up to the, to the big hunk of birthday cake where it's like, yeah, okay, you got that part. That was all good. Now we've got this. And I think it's a brilliant – it's different from a lot of other monster movies. Most monster movies don't do that. Right. Right. Yeah, you usually go right to the main menace. You don't get the slow build-up. In King Kong, when you get to the island and you don't see a whole bunch of dinosaurs first, King Kong shows up first, right? And then you're following him. But here, it's it's a gradual escalation of mm-hmm. horror where mm-hmm. we think it's a man and then we know it's these evil bugs and that's bad enough. And then, here's Rodan. Combining your points, really, one of the best uh, human moments, I think, is that's showing Rodan's power is when the first ship tries to go up and investigate it. He gets clipped by Rodan's sonic boom. The ship goes in half, and then seconds later, on a table, you have the remnants of the crash, and right there is a bloody helmet. Splattered. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah spattered. Yeah, and, also and, and at that point, you don't even really know what's going on still. It's still a mystery monster. And, uh, with the whole mystery monster, they also take the time to show how fast he is by showing three different broadcasts in Beijing, the Philippines, and then coming back to Okinawa. Like, he just did a round trip in uh, only a couple hours. It's subtle in a way that a lot of the later monster movies weren't. Now, it's really important to remember that at this time, they were making these each as complete movies. They weren't thinking that this was a franchise. They weren't thinking that they were going to spin it off into more characters. It wasn't like they were trying to do a low-rent version of Godzilla when they did Rodan. They were trying to do an entirely new movie, but they weren't playing this kind of game that they got into later with the the later Godzilla series, where it's like, oh, we need another Godzilla series, but we didn't make quite as much money on this, so we're going to... This one's going to have a less lesser budget than the last one. At this point, and, you know, uh, certainly up to the point where they did Mothra, and then until they started doing the Godzilla series, every one of these ones had to stand on its own, and they were all treated with basically the same amount of time and care and respect as the original Gojira had been treated with. So if you look at this or you look at Mothra, it's not a step down in terms of them trying to cash in and lower the budget and that kind of stuff. It's like, we're going to put everything we've got into this and try to make it as good as it possibly can be. And it really shows, I think. Going off your uh, what you're talking about with respect and how they treat the monsters, here is the best case of them showing that, but just afterwards, they totally forgot how to properly respect the characters because only, like, Angiris, I think, has it uh, as bad as uh, Rodan. But I think Rodan has it worse <laughs> because, well, just because, you know, Rodan has this movie. It, ha- it shows it stood on its own, that it had its own thing. But then later, we essentially just have, he's the sidekick. He shows up. He helps out. There isn't as much, uh, he gets stripped down to being a cast member 
worse than Angiris does because Angiris had nothing but being a uh, side, well, first a uh, opponent, then a sidekick to Godzilla. But Rodan had something, and then they never really had a way to uh, connect it again. This was a star vehicle for Rodan, and then he becomes a, a supporting player and basically second or third banana in pretty much all of the other movies he appears in. He yeah. or she appears in. We're gonna, I guess we're going to call it he, because I think they mostly do. But in the, in the first film, it, it seems pretty clear it's a mated pair. I mean, that's explicit yeah. in the American version, and I think less explicit in the Japanese version, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, yeah. they don't make any indication which one's the male or which one's the female. But the, right. the closest we ever get to uh, Rodan having any... Uh, individual character is in the Heisei era with uh, Godzilla versus uh, Mechagodzilla when he seems to bond with the baby Godzilla because their eggs were so close together that he feels a psychic attachment to want to protect him mm-hmm. and revives and flies across the city trying to get his uh, would be like bro- like kind of like you know orphan brother back his death brother or whatever right yeah his birth yeah. brother so that, that's really the last time he actually had any type of emotion even then he well, he had a pretty good moment, actually. He, you know, in an effort to try to help his brother out and his brother's uh, father, Godzilla, he's willing to sacrifice, give Godzilla's energy, and Godzilla's able to, to beat Mechagodzilla and go away with baby Godzilla. So there's something there, but it's still, there's just one brief moment of uh, respect doesn't make up for every other time he had to play second and third fiddle. Right. I agree. I, I agree that Rodan has just never gotten as much respect as the character really deserves. I mean, he's in nine movies and, you know, wow. and possibly <laughs> a tenth one coming up with the new American Godzilla sequel. But aside from this picture, as you say, I, I love Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster and I love Invasion Astro Monster and a lot of these other pictures. But I've always been like, oh, more Rodan, let's get more Rodan. And then it just doesn't happen. It just peters yeah. out. As you said in the Mechagodzilla film, at least you get more of Rodan as an actual character. And he's kind of briefly cool in Final Wars, but then everybody is kind of briefly cool in Final Wars. I mean, Except all the monsters. All <laughs> well, all he's the only one that gets, well, him and Manda get like totally owned. Right. <laughs> Although that's... It's clearly the coolest version of Manda that we've seen in a long, long time, even though he's kind of slapped aside at the beginning of the picture and disintegrated. But <laughs> it would, it'll be nice if we can actually get more Rodan that does Rodan justice, because this is, this is the star vehicle, and it never, never quite comes up to it after that. And some of that, honestly, some of that is the suit, I think, that the, the redesign of the suit, uh, even in Ghidra, does not do justice to the how cool the character really is or could be. And that's actually why I voted for Mark's cover for best cover this last year, because I was right. like, this is as cool as Rodan should be every time he shows up. <laughs> so I appreciate it. You there, dude. To me, um, the Rodan character and the Rodan design has never been as good, not even in the l- later, later films that uh, Tony was talking about. His head didn't have that same kind of spear sort of look to it. It almost looked more like, I don't know, the 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 neck didn't have the same sort of um, 
strength to it or something to right. me. Right. Looked like it yeah, could have got taken out a little too little easy. A little pencil necky later on. little pencil neck, yeah. And the face the wasn't beak it. Looked, uh, the beak looked a little too, uh, you know, more bird-like and, you know, like more... Uh, it, kind of, it, it reminded me of that, more like, of like uh, super chicken or something like that. You know, he drinks a super sauce. You know, I just think that the the first Rodan, there needs to be something. Now, I don't know what the deal is with the Gareth Edwards. Is Gareth Edwards going to have? I know there's going to be a couple of monsters in the next Godzilla movie that he's doing. In is theory, it, Rodan is one of them. In theory, Rodan is one of them. I would assume Mothra would be like at the front. But and I would like Ghidra, to. It says uh, the thing I'm looking at. It says uh, Ghidra, Mothra, and Rodan. So okay, which seems, okay. Seems like too many, <laughs> in a way. But I, it it all depends on the story. As long as they don't do what we're talking about, the second fiddle thing now with the new newer, and I can't remember the title. Uh, excuse me for not knowing the different era names by name. The newest one that we see, this new psychopathic-looking Godzilla, which, to be honest with you, I'm kind of intrigued by. I see the image, and I go, ooh, that looks, he looks like he's really, really, really mean. Oh, yes. <laughs> kind of really mean. Oh, the new one uh, in Japan, Godzilla. the new one coming out yeah, in Japan? New, yes. Okay. Does that is, have an era name yet? It's hard to tell, really. You know, this is technically going to be, you know, the fourth era, even though we're still technically in Heisei right now uh, through uh-huh. Japanese calendars, but... Final Wars was, you know, I'm not going to say it's on the same level as uh, <laughs> versus Destroyer, but still, it was it marked a another end of an era. We're gonna let the character take a siesta for a while. Right. So they call him Shin Godzilla. So is it the Shin era for right now? There's already arguments up like up on Facebook about that isn't right. It should be called this, and I'm like, oh brother, you know, it's like. <laughs> Why don't we call it uh, 2017 Godzilla or something like that, 2016 Godzilla. The original two eras were named after the then Emperor of Japan, basically. So we had, uh, uh, is it Showa and then Hisei and then Millennium. Millennium, mm-hmm. obviously, you know, because that's when the, the yeah. series uh, started coming out. But the Millennium series ended, for sure, with Godzilla Final Wars, the end. So there is obviously a new era, even though the you know we're still under the Heisei Emperor, right? I've got that right. Yep. There needs to be a new name for it, and I, yeah, I have seen people calling it Shin Godzilla, and I'm not sure exactly why, but it, I kind of like the the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> that sounds was the, good. Uh, that was the uh, that's the actual name they're going for on the Japanese release. Oh, okay. It's just, okay. Awesome. It's just okay. Shin. Go, it's just Shin Gojira. It'll okay. come to America apparently though as Godzilla Resurrection. Oh no, Resurgence. Okay, but we don't. Okay. It's got a Japanese release. We don't have an American one. I know. Well, just shoot assume, me, right? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. What's well, the date, kind of, Tony? Do you have a date uh, on that? Yes, July 29th of this year. Oh my God! I know. And here <laughs> I'm we so are. There. Sitting here Please, in don't America. Don't screw me waiting. over, Tallahassee. Don't screw me over with your little t- movie theaters. You better have it. There's going to be <laughs> pro- there's going to be trouble. I don't want to drive to Atlanta. I don't think it's got an American release date. I think that's what he was telling us. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that somebody won't try to put that out. I mean, come on. I want to see this thing, and I want to see it at the theater. I mean, I went and saw sure. Godzilla, Godzilla 2000 at the theater, and I saw Godzilla, what was it, 1984? What was the one the, the, when they really kind of brought him back for the first time? So do you think Rodan can be scary again if they do bring him back for the uh, the next legendary Godzilla film? I think so. I remember Absolutely. everybody being very impressed when the camera panned up and you saw Godzilla for the first time and people in the theater clapped. When, when, when the new Godzilla, you know, when you saw him finally in the film, he, 
it, it, people are like, wow, that's impressive. They can do that with him. They can do that with Rodan. I believe they can. I, mean, I want to believe that uh, Rodan could be scarier, but since we know they're essentially going to, uh, by the sound of it, on just what they want to, who they want to have star, that this is essentially just going, this is going to be a, you know, kind of a remake of Ghidorah, the three-headed monster. That unfortunately means he's going to be a good guy. So his, how you know, actual he is, uh, probably not. I I always have hope for this. Well, if you want him to be a bad guy, have uh, uh, Zach what's his Zach Snyder direct it. <laughs> I mean, just everything. Everybody will be a bad guy. Even the good guys will be bad guys. So it'll go win. Zack Snyder's destroy all monsters. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's too bad that we haven't gotten more respect for Rodan and more cool Rodan movies. Even though he, having appeared in ten Godzilla movies or nine, I think now, ten with the Edwards one. Yeah, Rodan is clearly the second, or he's right there in the the top. Japanese giant monsters, right? I mean, yeah. I'm sure Mothra's been in, in more films than Rodan. And mm-hmm. I think if we counted the Ghidra films, maybe Ghidra's been in more films than Rodan. Probably. But Mothra and Ghidra get way, way more respect than Rodan does. I mean, Ghidra's mm-hmm. got a huge fan following, and Mothra's got tons of her own movies, right? Yeah, I, I they still found a way to uh, keep uh, what they were you know, hardlined Ghidorah, you know, the agent of chaos, greatest villain of all Kaijudom and Mothra, you know, uh, embodiment of, uh, the earth and the spirit of good. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. In a sense, it's kind of hard though. Cause it's just, what, what do you do with Rodan? Really? I mean, right. you know, he's more savage and all speed in this movie. In the English dub, he and his mate are trying, are trying to carve out their own piece of the, uh, in the world and, you know, get smacked down for it. So where would you take it, actually? Rodan is a, a really interesting, cool character. And maybe you need to tweak Rodan a little bit the way they, you know, over the years they've kind of tweaked Mothra's powers and, and that kind of stuff in order to find exactly the right niche for this kind of supersonic monster. When I was watching this again this week, there are places in the movie where it's it's almost like he's the spirit of the air. There's a point where the Rodan, and I don't know whether it's the male or female, but the one that's in the city stomping around and they're firing everything they've got at this, where clearly Rodan is like breathing wind or something out of his mouth that's causing this destruction too. They now they never reference it as having, you know, any kind of atomic breath like Godzilla does. But clearly it's like this is kind of a a wind spirit. And I I think if I ever actually continued my <laughs> Kaiju Attack series, there would be a similar wind spirit character later mm-hmm. on as one of the giant monsters. So it's a lot of it is just putting the thought into it and and trying to figure out what makes the character special. And it seemed like in this film, they had this kind of idea that it was a supersonic menace and that it was, again, possibly released by things that man had done by atomic testing and delving too deep in the earth. And in the end, it's undone by natural forces. So they had that arc. But then when they brought it back, it was almost like they'd forgotten he was a pteranodon, for one thing, and he kind of becomes more bird-like in his conception and then it's it's like, well, he's the big bird without the feathers in the Godzilla movies, rather than he is 
as you said, you know, Godzilla was first the this kind of force of nature and evil, and then kind of a, an Earth protector, and and Mothra is the spirit of nature, and King Deidre is the forces from outside our world in outer space that's coming down trying to destroy the Earth. Those three characters are really clearly well conceived in Ghidorah the Three Headed Monster, or Ghidorah, or whatever you want to call call the translation of it. Mm-hmm. And then Rodan is the guy that flies, right? <laughs> and he's Godzilla's foe, apparently. He's like Godzilla's frenemy, almost. <laughs> Friendly right. enemy. But other than that, Rodan doesn't have like kind of a, like a clear function. And uh, I'm not dissing that film because I, as anyone that's listened to the podcast that I did with Eric knows, I love Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster as a mm-hmm. film. It's a really great film. But they didn't carry Ghidra over as any kind of an idea other than Godzilla's foe or Godzilla's frenemy or a second banana to Godzilla. Maybe the thing is is that with uh, you've got two flying creatures. You've got Rodan and you've got Mothra. Maybe Rodan should have been handled as the anti-Mothra. You know, I mean, that should always what it be. It's like, well, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're not going to use the carrot, we're going to use the stick kind of thing with Godzilla. And I, I think he just sort of faded into the back. He was he was the third wheel, you know. Right. Mothra is the one that talks him into going to fight Ghidra later, you know. And it's like with monsters cussing at each other, I guess, with the twin fairies going, "Oh, they're cussing at each other," you know. I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh, what language? language. Yeah, I know. It's like I was sitting, even as a little kid, I'm sitting there going, uh, "Okay, what's going on here?" Oh, but, as a kid, I love that. I thought it was horrible. <laughs> it was awesome. But uh, <laughs> Mothra has is always kind of the good guy or the good gal, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it. And Rodan doesn't have that. A little bit more primal in terms of like, it's almost like if, if you were to equate it to an animal, you'd equate, equate Rodan to a hungry wolf or something like that. And I think maybe they should play that up more. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and certainly in the, in the days of making these and making these sequels, they didn't have a lot of time. They weren't thinking of them as a series. They weren't thinking of them as character development pieces where the monster should have an arc throughout the series they just kind of like what cool thing could we do next well we had two monsters let's have three and then let's add a wicked fourth monster for the three to battle at the end and and that that's really good thinking as far as it goes but then it's like you just start throwing more monsters into the soup in some sense as we go along once we get past astro monster uh, otherwise known as monster zero uh-huh. once we get past that film we start to lose track of the human stories in a lot of these films. and the, Or yeah. the human stories just become not nearly as interesting as they were in these first things. Because in, in Rodin, early in the film, you care about these miners. They're not you know, entirely realistic, covered in coal dust miners, but you get a sense that there is a mine working here and there's some things going on in their lives and we've got this romance going on between the, the guy that's kind of the mine safety supervisor and, the, and his girlfriend and all that kind of stuff. You get all that kind of stuff going on and then in later films, most of that is just gone. It's become so much about the monsters. It's like the human subplot on the later films is that there are invaders from outer space or from Atlantis or Mew or wherever that are trying to take over. But we've lost the fact that there's these two people having a romance and this guy trying to sell his invention and whatever the other stuff is that's going on. Mm-hmm. And coming back to Rodan, Rodan's got a great human story kind of in the center of it. Now, by the end of it, 
we're not so concerned about that. It's like he's recovered his memory and they're back together and now they're fighting to survive the monsters. So in some sense, the story gets overwhelmed by the monsters. But at the same time, there was that story in the beginning before mm-hmm. everything went to hell and giant flying monsters started swooping around the sky, creating their own nesting space in a dormant volcano. Mm-hmm. An idea we could have with uh, just wrapping up what they did with Rodan, I gotta say, the uh, the black smoke is like his own personal breath attack that they never bring back again. When I saw it again, I thought to myself, what if he's able to do that because of buoyancy? Like, that's how he's able to fly properly and stay up in the air for a song, is just like controlled air intake. Mm-hmm. Just adding a little bit of actual science to it. And then going back to the whole, uh, you know, just how it ends, there is no way that either of these, uh, you know, they, there's no moment where dirt, there's an explosion of dirt and it covers them. So there's the possibility of there being alive for Ghidorah the three-headed monster. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're, they're straight up dead. They burn. <laughs> right. It, it certainly look. It certainly looks like it. Well, and, it didn't and, stop Mothra, and Mothra's from... a and Mothra's a worm again. Right. Yeah. There's not. There's. Yeah. I know where you're going. It's not. There's not much logic to it. Unless no. it's another Rodan, and that's another Mothra. It had to be another Godzilla because Godzilla died in the first one. So. Right. Yeah. You know. And they and they said there was a second one in the in the mm-hmm. uh, the second Godzilla feature Godzilla Returns or whatever we're calling yeah. Gigantus the Fire Monster. There was you go. Godzilla, Godzilla raids again. Raids again. That's what they're calling it now. <laughs> but I would like to know how this other Rodan showed up. Another another Rodan egg turned up somewhere. I don't know. That'd be nice. Just just well, a little bit. My memory is in in Gitter the Three Headed Monster that he is living in in the wall of a volcano again. That was from Godzilla versus Monster Zero. They pull him out of the side of a wall. In Godzilla, in Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, which is supposed to become right after, is the pickup after Rodan, he's just buried in the rock. So to make it think like one of them did survive and got buried in rocks and snuffed out the smoke enough. Right. Yeah. I think it's still the side of a volcano because aren't there tourists touring the volcano area that the guy loses uh, the hat that goes down? It's either another one or they're trying to say that it was one of these that got encased in lava and didn't die. It's my yeah. Japanese geography isn't good enough to remember if it's the same volcano that they die in this one that they show up in in Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster or not. But again, continuity with all this kind of stuff. It's like with the superhero comics. There really wasn't any continuity in superhero comics until Stanley and Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby and company decided that there should be ongoing superhero continuity in the Marvel Universe. They weren't really concerned with how you got from film A to film B in this. In the same way, up until maybe the Wolfman cycle, Universal wasn't that concerned with picking up this monster exactly where they left it at the last film. Basically, the thing with Rodan and Mothra and all this this continuity thing is, hey, it's a few years later. We're in the 1960s. We are nowhere in the level of the cinema critique and the examination that will happen in the in the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Exactly. Just just, right. just throw the monsters back out there. Just don't well, even bother. You oh, could oh, there, watch them back to back to back to back in your VCR. Right. or your DVD or Blu-ray player, nobody cared. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, the monster showed up again. No one's going, wasn't Rodan dead last time? You yeah. know, and I think they figured that out after they killed Godzilla in the first one. The second one, they explained that there was another one coming back, but then after that, 
he's either dead or he's not dead at the end of the film, and nobody really cares. As much as you and I, all three of us and Derek, look at these films as, as an art form, you have to remember, to the people making them, they were artists, yes, certainly some of them. And if you watch the documentary that's on the Rodan DVD, you really get a good sense of how great some of these artists were. But it was a commerce thing to them. So they weren't that concerned <laughs> with how you got from first film to second film. They were concerned with putting something up on the screen that was going to make them money. So, and if explaining that, well, this is a new Rodan, it hatched from another egg, uh, if that was going to add two minutes of film to the film, they're like, no, we don't need to do that. People will just accept it. If we just put it out there, people are going to say, yeah, okay, Rodan's buried in the side of that crater. Cool. Rodan's back. In the film. <laughs> I would have liked to have seen more Rodan. I, I think he's such a scary kaiju. And we were talking about that earlier about where he fits. And I think Steve and I, you've talked about Godzilla being this, this avatar, this force, this right. spirit. And I think Rodan is right there along those same lines with it just being this force, this avatar of destruction. And this entire conversation, even though listeners might think we went all over the place, it actually checked off everything that I had on my list of things I wanted to talk about. So good job, guys. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> any, any final closing thoughts about Rodan? And, and we'll start with Tony. I think we hear all the five points on this one. Okay. Mark? Uh, I like Rodan. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about it. I think there was a lot of good points being raised. I didn't even really think about it until it was brought up. Rodan does not get the love that uh, he, she deserves and that hopefully someday somebody's going to come along and rectify that, whether it's in the next couple of years or whether it's a decade. Somebody someday is going to turn around and go, you know what? We're going to do a real serious Rodan. It's going to be very vicious. And a good writer can do it. And, and a good writer will not only – the monster is the force of nature. The, uh, uh, the monster is a volcano. The monster is a hurricane, a tsunami, whatever. It, but at the same time, when you combine that with good human characters surrounding them and everything, it falls into place. You've got to strike that balance, and uh, someday it'll happen. Rodan is a, a great giant monster film. It's, in fact, I would say it's one of the best giant monster films. It really holds up very well. For people that hate black and white, it's in color. Yes, it's in the old television aspect ratio, the, the squarish ratio. It's a brilliant film. We talked a little bit about the special effects. The special effects in it are top-notch. The miniatures work in it is some of the best ever committed to a giant monster film. We didn't even mention the score. It's got another great Akira Fukube score. Yeah, it's a great one. Great, Honda's great direction one. is dead on. There are shots that are composites of Rodan flying across pictures of the real sky. They look as real as the jet planes flying across the sky. It's a wonderful giant monster film on just every level, as far as I'm concerned. And it brings stuff to the table that was not available to giant monster films before. You know, I mean, we get two copies of the monster. We get the setup with the giant bugs. The giant bug effects are very cool and creepy and, and scary. If I'd seen them when I was a little younger as a kid, I'm sure they would have haunted my dreams. It's just a terrific giant monster film, a terrific kaiju film, daikaiju film on every level. 
Oh, it's definitely one of my favorites. And man, I just go Rodan. I know. I'm, Rodin. I'm, on, I'm on Team Rodan. That's what I need. We need to make up some jerseys that just say Team Rodan. I think that's what we need. <laughs> yeah, you right. know, I mean, Rodan is probably my second favorite yeah. giant monster, right after Godzilla. So good stuff. All right, so listeners, I hope you've stuck around. I know this has gone a little bit longer than a regular episode of Monster Kid Radio, but I've had a blast. And if you want to hear more or read more or see more from our guests, Stephen D. Sullivan can be found at sdsullivan.com or cushinghorrors.com for his monthly. Is it monthly? It's monthly right now. I'm okay. hoping to, if I get enough subscribers, and it's, these are micropayments, people. So send me a buck a month and you get at least one story linked into your mailbox. And I'm hoping to get it up to bi-weekly and then eventually three times or weekly, which would be really cool if I get en- enough subscribers to support that. And then Mark Maddox's work can be seen on your favorite Monster Magazine covers. But you also have a website, and I believe it's maddoxplanet.com. Is that right? Yeah, it's maddoxplanet.com. That one probably could use a stand with a little updating. I don't think I've put, put new paintings up there in the last few years. be honest with you, Mark Maddox on Facebook, Mark Maddox, and go Mark Maddox, the one in Tallahassee. Facebook friend me. That way we get a, you know some conversation going back and forth, and uh, I post uh, anything new that I've done. And if I don't, then the publishers and other people from other magazines uh, that I work for post the stuff up. I'm on there very active. So that's an alternative to just the regular Maddox Planet webpage. You're also one of the co-hosts of the Monster Attack podcast, which launched, was it the end of last year? Was it last year or was it this year? I don't remember. <laughs> Cool what we do is me, a, my fr- a buddy of mine, Jim Adams, uh, we met at a monster movie convention. <laughs> Go figure. And it was like, look, you love talking about all this stuff. We love talking about the minutia. And what we do is we, we do a, a little, usually a little under an hour podcast once a week. We, we will go from anything from the very beginning of film all the way back to the, the moon with the missile sticking out of its eye all the way up to we we do dabble a little bit into the r-rated realm uh, once or a little bit but for the most part it's everything from the early 70s on back is where we go and we jump all over the place i mean i there's even films i haven't seen that i'll watch before the show comes on uh there's one uh, dracula in istanbul i'm gonna have to watch here soon <laughs> i've never seen it uh and we're doing that one i think this week we just did one uh the other day on gorgo and uh, we're going to do another one this week we're going to probably do colossus of new york so we literally We've done the Brainiac, we've done Hammer, we've done Universal, and we will continue to keep it very eclectic. We will what? eventually cover every film uh, in all time. All What's time. the name of that again? I, I it's called Monster Attack. Looking. Monster Attack with an exclamation point. Cool. I'm always and looking I, for new podcasts to check out. I'll make sure there's a link to the podcast in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. And if you want to hear Mark talk about Rodan more, he talked about it in episode six of his podcast back in February. So there's more Rodan goodness there for you. Derek, I got tired of waiting for you, so I went ahead and started my own show. Oh, okay, show. I see. Okay, I see, I see how it is. Uh, <laughs> these are jokes, people, jokes. <laughs> and then Tony Wendell, the man behind the very cool website, The Gigantic Project. Dot com. Coming soon, or will probably be out by the time uh, this podcast comes out, but I have finally finished and I'm tackling the Daimajin Trilogy. Ooh, Ooh nice. So those reviews will be up soon. 
and uh, also look for my articles over at Up and Coming Geek Content website, www.monkeysfightingrobots.com. I'm always cool. uh, doing good uh, anime or movie review over there. And, uh, you know, just give us some support because we're trying to make it grow and we can use all the love we can get. So you can check out these guys at all their various different projects and websites and just keep listening to Monster Kid Radio because I'm sure I'm going to have each one of them back on the show. You know, well, I don't know. Mark, what did you think for your first time? Oh, I had a blast. Excellent. I love it. Yeah, I had done Rodan before. As a matter of fact, I felt like I was a cheating whore when I uh, when I when when somebody goes, "Let's do Rodan," and I went, "I'm waiting for Derek." But anyway, I had a complete blast on this. Uh, please, you know, have me back when you uh, uh, you know feel like you want to. But I I loved being on here today. Thank you so much, and Steve and Tony, it was great uh, talking with you guys as well. Same. Hope to work with you in the future. You too, oh, uh, Steve. Please. What happened to Steve? Did we lose Steve? Steve. Rodan got him. Steve, yeah. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, fantastic. Guys, thank you so much. This was a blast for me. I know we were all over the place, but I just had a blast. So thank you so much. Is Steve okay? Well, you'll have to come back next week to find out. Talk about that here in a little bit. Since this recording took place, the Rondo Awards have been announced. Now, while Mark did not win the Rondo Award for the magazine cover in question, he did not go home from the virtual ceremony empty-handed because he won the Rondo Hat and Classic Horror Award for Artist of the Year. So, Mark, congratulations, my friend. That's awesome. Mark is going to be back on the show down the line, I'm sure, and I promise not to take, I don't know how long it took, but I promise not to take that long to get him back on the show. And of course, Tony will be back on. And if Steve's okay, well, we'll get to that here in a moment. A remote Pacific Island where an expedition of world famous scientists investigate incredible rumors of its fantastic mysteries and discover barren volcanic mountains surrounding strange green valleys. Mammoth caves that breed giant mutations. Vampire plants that devour humans. But most astounding of all, the tiniest women in all creation. Sacred beauties of a lost tribe which worships a monstrous creature. What is the secret of Mothra? What is the bizarre spell that awakens Mothra? As these doll-sized girls call to the super god from captivity. Mothra, whose revenge is more devastating than any man-made weapon. Mothra, who defies warplanes. Wrecks ocean liners. Smashes dams and bridges. Mothra, creating hurricanes. Mothra, enveloped in a shell that no human force can penetrate. Mothra, indestructible, all-powerful, indescribable. What kind of creature is this god monster, Mothra?
from a world beyond our own from the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story, presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today. When modern Navy scientists defy the unknown mysteries of the past, perpetuated by centuries of native belief, then nature strikes in all its vengeance in Barath, the unbelievable. For generations, the legend was passed on. They said Baran was there, deep in the still waters. They said, let Baran sleep. That lake water is going to be contaminated after we finish the tests. Probably affect the fish, too. We just can't take any chances. But those people have depended on their lake for their livelihood all their lives. And their parents before them. Anna, now should we be this concerned about a handful of people when we might perfect something that could benefit all mankind? Hmm? All right, Jim. commander would not heed their warning. He moved forward, ever searching, ever probing, deeper and deeper, until it was too late. Baran rose from the depths, slowly, unrelentingly, to wreak its vengeance on a civilization that wanted to know too much. Tumultuous. Terrifying. It will shock you to the core. Buran, the unbelievable. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. MonsterKidRadio.net is where you're going to find links to everything that we talked about here on the show, like Mark's Facebook page, the Monkeys Fighting Robots website, the Monster Attack podcast, Cushing Horrors, and pretty much everything else you need to know about the podcast. I mean, over there, you're going to find our contact information, like our email address, which is monsterkidradio at gmail.com, and our voicemail line is 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. You're going to find links to every song that's appeared on the podcast from the very beginning to now, links to Steve's website, links to Tony's website, links to a handful of other websites, and an announcement about what's coming up in next week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. Yeah, I think Steve's okay. At least I hope he is, because he's joining me again here on the podcast next week, episode 265, when he and I are going to go over the 2016 Monster Rally Retro Awards. This is an annual award show that we do here on the show where we honor the monster movies, the genre films of yesteryear. This year we're honoring the films from 1932, 42, and 52, Steve's going to join me to go over the ballot, and he doesn't know it yet. I probably ought to let him know before I record with him. I'm going to interview him a little bit because he's got that Cushing Horrors project we keep talking about. I want to give him a chance to talk a little bit more about that as well. Also, we got a little bit of feedback, and this is actually kind of a happy accident. Normally because we have this rotating group of guests that appear on the podcast, feedback from a particular episode may not line up with that particular guest's next appearance. However, we did get a little bit of feedback from a listener named Richard. And it's about the mummy episode that Steve and I did. So I'm going to sit on that until next week when Steve's back. So we're going to go over that, the rally awards, and who knows what else. I'm sure Steve and I will have plenty to talk about. About to wrap up, before I do so, I want to talk a little bit about our Facebook 
presence. We have a Facebook page that we're trying to get to 1,000 likes by the end of the year. As of right now, we have 821 likes. So if you are a Facebook user, we sure would appreciate you hopping over to Facebook.com slash Monster Kid Radio and giving us a like. We also have a group over on Facebook. You can join the group and get involved with conversations of other listeners of the show and me between episodes. There's a good number of us there, and Pete asked me if there's any chance that I can post a list of the Lucha films that are coming up in May. As I've mentioned in the past, May is a themed month here on Monster Kid Radio. Lucha de Mayo is what I'm calling it. Five weeks, five episodes of nothing but luchador Mexican monster movies. You know, these films are just so much fun. They're colorful. They're just amazing. I can't get enough of them. And I've already recorded one episode with Frank Schildener. He and I are going to talk about the Mil Mascaris film, The Robbery of the Mummies of Guanajuato. Another film that I plan on talking about is a movie called Santo versus the Martian Invasion. I'm also planning on talking about a movie from 2007 called Mil Mascaris versus the Aztec Mummy. Now, that's only three movies. There are five weeks. I need to finalize some of these other episodes that I have in mind, line up some recording times and make that happen. But as soon as I have all this in stone, I'll make sure it's listed in the Monster Kid Radio Gazette, which you can subscribe to through the website over on the right beneath the head of Rondo Hatton from last year's Rondo Awards. You can see where you can put in your email address, hit subscribe, and then once a month near the end of the month, you will get an email newsletter from me about all things Monster Kid Radio. Another conversation that happened on Facebook is one that I started at the end of last week about the themed months. May is one of our themed months. Well, I want to do two other themed months this year, and it seems like most people are on board with that. However, Scott from LA made a comment, and I wanted to respond to it. He says it's better to do a series of movies all at once. He wishes the Mummy sequels and the Planet of the Apes movies would have been every week. And you know what? In retrospect, I agree with you. I think it makes a lot of sense to do them all together. Now, the Mummy sequels, I was doing those films with Nicholas Hatcher. Now, unfortunately, Nicholas and I are no longer in contact with each other for no other reason other than he's fallen off of Facebook, I think. At least he's not turning up in my feed. So, Nicholas, if you're out there, get a hold of me, man. I would love to schedule these other Mummy movies with you. The Planet of the Apes films. Well, Scott Morris and I are talking about making at least one more of those recordings happen in June. And then, you know, by the time the summer's over, I promise we're going to be through Planet of the Apes. At least I hope so. You know, maybe I shouldn't promise because I'm going to shoot to have it all done by the end of the summer. I'm actually pretty eager to get to those. Those movies have been so much fun to explore. As a first time viewer, man, I've had a blast going through those films with Scott. Okay, now I'm done. I know I said at the top of this, I was going to kind of keep it short and well, I'm kind of not. So let's wrap up. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song Space Whirlpool. That belongs to the really cool surf band, the Slop Tones. You can find them at sloptones.bandcamp.com. This album has two songs on it. This one and another one called Hamburger Galaxy. That's pretty fun. The album is only $4. So, I mean, two bucks a song. It's worth it, man. Go check it out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody next week when I have Steve back, Rodan willing, to talk about the Rally Awards. (laughs) 